0: Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om asato Riturma amrita avi avi maidhi hi rudra yate namukaha te namaha paha Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality, and reach us through and through ourselves, and evermore protect us from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. My subject this morning is self-image psychology. And we're going to be talking about the idea that we have about ourselves, our self-concept, and how important that is in any program of personal growth or spiritual practice. Each one of us carries within our psyche a mental image, a self-portrait of ourselves. If you close your eyes and you try to visualize it, you try to conceptualize it, it's not possible to do. Our self- image, our self-concept, it's an unconscious. That is, it is who we are. We're we're embedded in that concept. We can't objectify it. We can't see it. And yet, it is there, clearly defined down to the last detail. Our self-image is like a collage. It's um, a composite of all of the ideas And beliefs that we have about ourselves. The self-image is the key to understanding why we are what we are today. It's the key to understanding why you think, the way you think, why you feel the way that you feel, why you Act and behave the way that you do. And the general principle here, an ancient principle of mental science, is that all of our thoughts, feelings, speech, and action will, by natural law, tend to be consistent with the concept that we have about ourselves. And Certainly it's true that our self-beliefs, what we believe about ourselves, explains a lot about where feelings come from. Sometimes people are confused about how feelings arise and where feelings come from. Well a feeling, according to yoga psychology, is just an aura that develops and forms around a belief. Around a thought. And uh, positive thoughts naturally generate positive feelings. Negative thoughts result in negative feelings. And the old Vedanta teaching story is about Mr. Devadatta, who was on one occasion out uh, sweeping in the courtyard of his house and it was a beautiful day and the sun was shining and the birds were singing and his neighbor came walking by that way and he said well good morning Mr. Devadatta I'm so sorry to hear that your wife has died and Devadatta hearing this he thought what that's that's terrible what a terrible thing he said how can I live without her he began to shiver, he began to shake, he began to weep, he began to cry. And then he stopped at, hey, wait a minute, I'm not married. <laughs> he, was a, he was a practical joker. He liked to play jokes his neighbor, walked by. So Mr. Devadatta, he had a false belief. Somehow he harbored for a moment, anyhow, a small false belief, and it created negative feelings within him. And just as every thought, every belief that we have in our mind, just as it has an aura of feeling, so too the sum total of all of the beliefs that we have about ourselves itself has a generalized feeling. That's what we call our self-esteem the feeling that we have about ourselves. We look in the mirror and do you feel good about yourself? Or do you have negative feelings about yourself? Your self-image is what determines your behavior in the course of life. And everything that you do will be consistent with the belief that you hold about yourself. How you walk and talk, your facial expressions, your hand gestures, your whole body posture, your behavior, your comportment, all that speaks about and reflects your self-concept. And it's all about, uh, you know, they have a, it used to be long ago, they used to have a theory of acting. It was called histrionics. That means if you want to act, or maybe maybe uh, the earliest days of the of the movies or the film industry, if you have to have your picture taken, you'd strike a pose, kind of like Napoleon or something, some dramatic pose. And uh, if you'd want to act, you would act out a character. You'd read about that character. And you would try to affect his mannerisms and his speech and his his gestures. Well, that didn't work very well, as we see in retrospect. They got a whole new concept. It's called method acting. Method acting, total radical different change in how to portray a character in a more dramatic and real way. And the way that we do that is is that we have to think, if we're going to portray a character, we have to think about that character and relate his life or the scene that we're going to portray to something in our own life and his emotions of the character with something that we ourselves have really experienced. And then identifying with our own personal memory and recall of our own personal experience, we bring a greater authenticity to the portrayal of the character. And the moral of the lesson there is is that behavior relates to ourself. Real behavior, believable, authentic behavior, is about a reflection of ourself, a reflection of our true nature. What we believe about ourselves, if you've ever had occasion to attend a demonstration of stage hypnosis, Maybe you will see that volunteers are called up on the stage. And uh, these volunteers are under the power of suggestion. They begin to act out the instructions of the hypnotist. And maybe if the hypnotist is lucky, of course there's no such thing as hypnotic trance. It's just some people are have a weak Character they're very they're very suggestible And if the hypnotist is lucky enough to get up some someone who's very suggestible in their mind He can control their thoughts and feelings And so when the volunteer is told that he's a duck well he starts to walk like a duck starts to quack like a duck and those of us in the audience we uh we look at that, and we think, that well, that's amusing, and that's humorous. But the teaching of yoga psychology is that we're in the same condition, that this is our condition today, in fact, that we've hypnotized ourselves into all kinds of beliefs that we have about ourselves. Some are true, some are false, but we act and we behave in accordance with those ideas, the self-concept, the belief that we have about ourselves, it's a crucial to, it's a key to understanding our achievements in life and how we go about accomplishing things in life. Our self-concept influences how we relate to the world around us. We know that in order to achieve personal growth, That we need to be willing to live, we need to be willing to challenge ourselves, we need to be willing to take risks, we need to be willing to to think outside the box, and the key to our personal growth is going to be to think, think big, think big, not think small, like the Volkswagen idea, Volkswagen uh, advertisement, think small. See, the antithesis, contrast to this is the Vedantic teaching, think big. So you think big about ourselves, we can achieve great things. I like to tell a story about the fisherman who was uh, was one day fishing by the River Ganges. And he would throw in his line into the water and wait, and he'd, he'd catch a fish, reel it in, pick that fish up. Out of his pocket, he would take a small wooden ruler. He'd measure the fish, and uh, some he would keep, and some he would throw back. And the other huta, who was uh, downstream, he looked up. He was watching this fisherman. And he noticed, he says, he would, uh, he'd catch a big fish, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd measure it, and he'd throw it back in the river. He'd catch a small fish, measure it. And he would put it into his basket And Avadhuta You know the Avadhuta had 24 gurus, right? This was one of his upa gurus. So he went up there curious. He asked him, Mr. Fisherman. He said, I'm sitting there watching you, know, watching you. He says, I'm curious. Why do you throw away, throw the big fish back and you keep the smaller fish and the fish always oh, said well I see he reached in his back but you see yes, he says I have a 6 inch frying pan here <laughs> and so I have to make sure I don't want to get a too big fish too much trouble I throw the big ones back so he's able to explain that's how he lived his life he thought small that was his standards and that kind of determined how he reacted how he how he behaved in the world how he responded to the world around him and to uh things in his life. Our self-image, it determines everything. Certainly it determines our attitude towards life, that is, it determines our world view. Um, when we perceive the world around us, psychologically, that's yoga psychology, first we perceive ourselves. And then we perceive the subject, and then there's you perceive the object. And um, how we think and feel about every percept that we have, every experience that we have, reflects ourself. We don't create reality, but we do interpret reality. And we tend to see reality through the spectacles of our own self concept That is our spectacles, ground to our prescription, ground intended to our prescription. And so we see the world very much as a reflection of ourself. In fact, the world, we could say, is a house of mirrors. And in the Vedanta text, it tells us about the man. There was once a man who, he came home after a day's work, and he went into the hallway. There he has a mirror, and he come and he looked in there in the mirror, and he stopped there, and he looked at himself. He said, well, what a handsome-looking man. He said, I'm really a very good-looking man, he thought. He enjoyed, it it, just, it made him so happy to stand there looking at himself in the mirror. that he decided, he got a project, He went out and he started buying mirrors. He'd buy a lot of mirrors. And he put mirrors in his living room, and he put mirrors in the hall, put mirrors in the kitchen, the dining room, so that everywhere that he went, he could look in that mirror and he could see himself, his handsome, smiling self. It made him very happy. One day, the man went off to work and didn't lock his front door very securely, left it a little ajar. And there it so happened that there was a dog, just a stray dog, street dog, mangy, scrawny, nosing around, trying to find some food or something, very fearful, angry at the whole world, looking around, he saw that door, he nosed in that door. And what did he see when he looked in the door? He he saw a dog looking back at him, staring right back at him. And this dog, first dog, well, he began to growl. The other dog began to growl. He began to snarl. The other dog began to snarl. He began to bark. The other dog began to bark. He became very vexed. He became very angry. He was going to go into that house. But when he took one step through the door, he saw there were not just one dog. There were many dogs all around in the house, in the living room, in the hallway. And seeing those many dogs barking upon him, he was struck with fear and trepidation, ran away, still running down the, down the road, howling in fear. Well, see, we see ourselves in reflection. The world is a house of mirrors. Our self-image determines our life. Our self-image is our destiny. It is our self-image that keeps us moving forward. You know, there's an interesting book written long ago. It was written by a psychiatrist, and a plastic surgeon. He had all these degrees. He was like an, he was like an MD, and he was a psychiatrist. He was a plastic surgeon, Maxwell Maltz. The title of the book, maybe you've heard about it, psycho He uses an interesting analogy in that book about the cell when he's talking about self-image because he had plastic surgery. So we had experiences of people changing their self-picture that they had about themselves. And the analogy that he used, he said to think of yourself as being like a torpedo of being shot from a, from a submarine. We can imagine we've seen that in the movies. See a torpedo. It's driving through the water. It's moving forward, and a torpedo is self-propelled. It keeps moving as an engine, it keeps driving forward, it doesn't stop. And in the, in the nose of the torpedo, they program the target, grid point coordinates of the target, into the nose of the torpedo. So as it is driven forward, it keeps correcting itself, is it too far left, too far right, and zeroing in on that internalized target that it has. The torpedo cannot rest. See, we're like that. We're like be- those beings. Our karma drives us forward. Where We can't just stop acting. We can't stop moving. We can't stop moving in. We can't stop moving forward. But our the direction of our movement is going to be zeroing in on how to be what we want to be. That is, it's our self-concept that is really our goal. And this is the teaching, the Vedanta philosophy. What is the goal of your life? What's the purpose of your life? Well, it's very simple. Vedanta philosophy teaches us the goal and purpose of our life is self-actualization and self-realization. It's not that this should be your goal, or it would be nice that the the teaching comes down from on high that this ought to be your goal. That's not, that's not the idea. The idea is, this is your goal. This is a fact about all human beings. This is a fact about all things in the world. They struggle to be what they are. Of course, things, trees don't struggle. You know, cows don't struggle because they just naturally are what they are. A cow is a real cow. He doesn't have any problem. It's only we as human beings we suffer from a kind of a of a confusion of an ongoing identity crisis so we're we're like the torpedo we're not really sure where we're going but we're always uh, our purpose our our goal is always to become who we really are and uh, having a clear image having a right image of who we are is going to be the the source of our prosperity and our achievement and having a negative self-image or a wrong self-image is going to be the worst disaster, worse than cancer or polio, having a negative false belief system about who we really are. So we can see then the importance of the self-image. This is the root cause of what we are today. And if we are interested in self-transformation, and uh, like I say, whether you're interested in it or not, the fact is that consciously or unconsciously, every human being is struggling to realize and actualize and to realize themselves, the way to do that consciously and effectively and efficiently is to be clear to understand who we really are now once upon a time in ancient india in the foothills of the himalayas there was a flock of sheep they were grazing and it was a beautiful day and the the grass thick green grass growing, flock of sheep was all huddled together and they had their noses down and they had wet grass eating to their heart's content, completely oblivious of the world around them. And they failed to notice that uh, there was a big mama lion that was stalking the flock. She circled around the flock, came uh, downwind from the flock, crawled up onto a hillock, a small little hill there, looked down, looked down over the hill, gathered her strength, and sprang upon the flock of sheep. And as she did so, it so happened that there was a hunter. He was off in the forest, and he had seen the lion, And uh, he had a great hunting rifle, and uh, he had tracked the lioness. And when she sprang on the flock, he aimed his hunting rifle and pulled the trigger and shot her dead. She fell to the ground. Now, it so happened that the lioness was pregnant. In the shock of that fall, a little lion cub came into the world and he was struggling around, looking around. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know what was going on. Confused, lost, struggled along through the grass. There he saw a flock of sheep. Yeah, that looks nice, I'll go over with them. He walked over with them. He began imitating them, and he began to sit there with the flock. And he began to eat grass. And the flock of sheep, they looked at it. They didn't know what was going on. They just let it, a little lion cub. And so like this, he became one of the flock of sheep. And time passed. And uh, he grew and grew until he was a full-grown lion. And here he was eating along the well. Uh, His life wasn't so bad, but he did have problems. It wasn't completely... He wasn't very well adjusted. For one thing, the sheep very often uh, made fun of him. Uh, He had uh, big, uh, sharp, pointy teeth. Uh, He had a big, uh, bushy mane. You know, he had a long tail. Didn't look like the rest of them. They also uh, would complain about the fact he didn't talk right. Seemed to have a speech impediment of some kind because when the other Sheep would go, bah, the best that he could go was, "gras." That's, that's all that he could say. Furthermore, he had another problem, and that is, he never, ever had a good meal. He never enjoyed his dinner. He always, he had, he'd be green grass, red grass, and uh, yellow grass, and all of the different kinds of, never made him happy. Well, one day, as he was grazing along with the sheep, all the sheep failed to notice that a daddy lion was stalking the flock of sheep. And then he circled around the flock, came down from the flock, came up on that small hill, looked over the flock of sheep, gathered his strengths, And he was about to spring when he stopped. And he did a double take. Couldn't believe his eyes. He looked down there and he saw there's a huge lion in the middle of that flock of sheep. He couldn't believe it. And he was stunned and amazed to see this. He's very curious. So he crouched back and he sprang on the flock. Now, we don't have to worry about the hunter. He ate the hunter for lunch. There's no hunter in this. He sprang on the flock. All the sheep went scattered here, everywhere. He went right to that sheep lion. Grandma put a paw on his head, put him to the ground. He said, what are you doing here? Little well, sheep lion, please, please, let me go. I'm a sheep. He says, well, you're not a sheep. You're a lion. What are you doing here? No, no, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. Yeah, big daddy lion. what? You come along with me. Dragged him through the other field. Dragged him over to a... Pond of water, crystal clear, placid, calm. Pond of water. So look at What do you say, your sheep? Look here in the water. You see, my, here's my reflection. Here's your reflection. Look. What compare the two? Good argument. The, the little sheep lion looked at. Hmm, yeah, it's a good argument. It's true? I do. I look like just like you. Then the uh, daddy lion said, "Well, what are you going to eat here?" He said, "Well, I eat grass." No, no, you don't want to eat grass, said the uh, daddy. He went up there and the bushes came back with a big chunk of red meat. He said, here, eat it. No, no, he pushed his head down there, began to eat that meat. Ah, yeah. For the first time in his life, began to enjoy his dinner. Yes. Yeah. Then the daddy lion says, now, he says, now, you, you see, it makes more sense. Isn't it more reasonable? This is what you, the way you should be, what you should be eating. Now let me hear you roar. And the little sheep lion goes, said, No, no, let me hear you really roar like the lion. And so he began to roar. And he roared like the lion. And uh, like this, he began, he recalled his true nature. And he recalled his true identity. And uh, he went off to live uh, the rest of his life to live thenceforward as the king of beasts and as uh, the lord of the jungle so we can see here the this is the the fable the meaning of the fable let's look a little bit about to understand the meaning of the fable obviously it's a story about spiritual awakening and um the daddy lion represents maybe the teaching, the teachings of the wisdom traditions around the world. The the preceptors, the wise men of the world, the guru, who gives right knowledge. He's the carrier and and uh, conveyor of right knowledge. Uh, he gives what the, ca- the Catholics call it catechism. There's some people who are not rightly catechized. That's their problem. They haven't learned their lessons of what is what in spiritual life. The Buddhists call it right views. Samyak dushti, that means the first step in the great eightfold noble path, first, very first step before you do anything else, you got to have right views. That means you've got to have right knowledge about your truth about yourself and about your true nature. Once you know the truth about yourself, then that changes everything. So we're talking here about what is right knowledge about ourselves, our conception of ourselves Today, in science, in religion, in philosophy, in culture, in all its manifestations, we see a very strong influence of the post- what we could call the postmodern view of man this is the contemporary view of man what is what is human nature what is what is a man and the postmodernist view is that man is a social animal that means a communitarian self that is embedded in society. You're not an individual. You are part of a collective and your whole identity is defined by your relationships with others. And uh, you don't make your own life. Your life And your psyche and your your sense of self is constructed by society. It's constructed by your experiences in the social world and in the natural world. And it's all very deterministic. There are some philosophers and some psychologists, East and West, really, back from the earliest times, who believe that we don't have a self. They believe that we have no... Not just that our self is an artifact constructed by others, but that it's not real. That our self is somehow just a a bundle of experiences, and there's nothing really behind it. And that... Uh, the terminology of modern psychology there is the narrative self. That means the self is conceived, what is your self, it is conceived of kind of you are like kind of like a character in a literary text. And just as the text, the character is not the author, the character is authored. So you're not the author of your life. You are authored by the the discourse of culture that speaks through you you're like a character in a comic book you have yeah you you have dialogue and you have actions but there's nothing there <laughs> there's no real it's not a real person it's just a story and they were all somehow just stories you can see maybe you've heard some of this kind of this is the idea of this well The teaching of Vedanta is that the Vedanta philosophy gives us an entirely, completely, radically different view of ourself. We can contrast this idea of uh, the communitarian self, the narrative self, or the non-self, the no-self, with the Vedantic idea That you have a real self. That is, that behind your body and behind the changing body and and the vicissitudes of the changing stream of thoughts and feelings, there is an enduring ground of being. You have a soul, to put it simply. You have a soul. You have an essence. You have a self. That's what a self means. Self means that there is a unifying conscious entity which is enduring and changeless behind the changing reality. This is called substance metaphysics. Give it a name. Substance metaphysics is contrasted with what we hear today, which is the philosophy of science, process metaphysics. That is, everything is change. Everything is a process. You also are just a process. You're also a changing stream of thoughts. There's, no, there's nothing permanent within you. You don't have a soul. You don't have a self. That is, the consciousness is generated by material and mental processes. It is not independent. The Vedanta teaching is that you are an unlimited conscious being that you are an infinite, self-luminous. That is your con You would say, oh, conscious. Well, I know I'm conscious. Yeah, but that's not the idea. It's not that you're conscious, but that you are self-luminous, that even when all the world goes away and there's nothing to be conscious of, you're still conscious. It's like the sun. The sun continues even when all the illumines the worlds. But when the even when all the worlds disappear and everything goes back to the universal pralaya and dissolution, maybe the sun continues to shine. Self-luminous. You are a self-luminous, self-existent being. See, being means I exist. Oh, we know you exist, but that's not the idea. It's not that I exist, that I am am an existing being, but that I am a self-existing being. That means that I exist independently of everything. I still exist. I still have being, that I am being. Well, this is the teaching and the whole of the Vedanta philosophy is about explaining to us and encouraging us to go deeper and deeper to try to understand what is this conception of our true self, our real self. And um, this is the Atman, our true self. And... Um, Those of us raised in a Judeo-Christian tradition, of course, we have all kind of negative connotations to the word self. Whereas, as you know, from the teaching of the wisdom of the East, the teaching of the Vedanta philosophy, the word self is, uh, that is the Sanskrit word, Self. Not the self The problem here is kind of the English word, self and self, the self of the smallest, self of the capital S. Sanskrit they have different words, so there's no confusion about your true self, the ahamkara, that is your, your false self. But the idea is, is the teaching of the Vedanta is that you are the Atman, you are your true self. The self is not something that you have to become. You see, in the story of the sheep lion, the sheep lion grazing in the flock, he is already a lion. We call him a sheep lion because he's, he's there with a the sheep. The story is not about a sheep becoming a lion. It's already a lion. It's about a lion realizing that he's a lion. Let's look here at this idea of the, of the lion. Why are the metaphor of the lion? Why did they choose the metaphor of the, of the lion? Well, that's because the lion is the king of beasts. The lion is the, uh, and even in India, even today, holy men, saints, are called maharaj. That means, oh great king. They're called because they have, a, they have about them a royal presence. A saint is like a king because they have great dignity, human dignity. Human dignity comes from the self-respect and from the perfection of moral character, now, I just want to say a word here about moral character because when we hear this story, you may, the question may be how do I get enlightened? How, do I, how can I get awakened? And uh, we can say, how can I realize my true self? Well, it seems like if you were, it's possible, maybe you could hear this story and you would think, well, I know what I need. I need a daddy lion. That's what I need. I need some powerful teacher, guru, who will come along and drag me out of my, my confusion and uh, just kind of shock me and beat me into a <laughs> way so I wake up, and then I'll just go off and live happily ever after. Seemed like that. Maybe you could give that interpretation. Of course, that's not the, the meaning. We're not supposed to carry, go too far in analyzing the story with that meaning. But the idea is, is that in order to, how do we become a real, maybe more, how do we become who we really are? How do I become a real, a real person? Well, who I really am, as we know, we're kind of confused about our our self-concept, and if we track back retrospective of our lives, we see we've we've gone through a lot of different ideas about who we are. There were children, children, there were a body self, we're a feeling self, we're an energy self, we're this self, we have all kinds of self-identities which we've already passed through, and now we're kind of wondering, now what? And... uh, It's true that your conception of yourself is a, is a kind of an ongoing quest. It's an ongoing project that uh, the goalposts keep moving and shifting. But in order to know what you need to do in order to be who you really are today, and this you have to begin today and you have to begin now. You have to begin where you are with what you have. And uh, what that means is that You have to become, you have to develop, you have to change your character. You have to change your moral character. You have to become an embodiment of moral virtues. In fact, the sheep lion in the story, after he'd been dragged away from the flock of sheep, in fact, there he is, he is an embodiment of moral character. How do we become our real self? Well, we have to begin with where we are, with what we have. What do we have? How would we know? Well, we have to consult the only thing we know, and that's our reason. That is, we have within us a rational, intuitive faculty that enabled it makes us human. That's the highest faculty. That's what makes us different from everything else. So we begin with reason. We see that the sheep lie. What's the first thing we say? He listens to reason. He gives arguments. He hears the truth. He's given these arguments. And so he's understand that is he has a virtue of rationality. He starts thinking about what's what. He compares the images. He goes through a process. And in order to use your reason, you have to, in order to become a real person, be true to yourself. That means in order to use your reason, your reason has meaningless unless you respect the truth, unless you're committed to the truth. That's virtue number two, you have to be committed to the truth. That is to say, in order to be rational, you have to be honest. You have to be truthful. You, what the sheep lie, there he is. He stopped living a lie. He's come away. He's, he's no longer living a lie. He's now willing to change his self-concept. He's willing to take a stand for the truth about himself. The sheep lie in there. He's come away in order to be reasonable. In order to use your reason in, in pursuit of truth, you have to be independent. You have to come out of that flock of sheep. You have to stand alone. You have to think for yourself. Another virtue. These are the virtues that enable us to be who we really are: independence. In order to in order to be who we really are, we have to have integrity. She, the little sheep lion—that's what he gains. Integrity, for the first time, he integrity means kam <speaking> That means your thinking, your speech, your, your your feelings, and your actions are all the same. That's what the sheep led. He does now. He's he's behaving like a lion. He's he's eating like a lion. He's talking like a lion. He's no longer, that is, he's integrated. He has a virtue of integrity. And as a result of which, he begins to feel a sense of self-pride. A sense of what in Sanskrit is called shodha, faith. We know the word faith, faith in God, faith in the teaching, faith in the scriptures, faith in the Guru, above all the teaching of Vedanta, faith in yourself. Faith in the, the dignity of your own true nature. So that's our subject this morning. We can see then that there is a basic principle. We think, feel, act in accordance, consistent with our self concept. Uh, That we, if we want to change, if we want to become real, realize who we really are, then we have to change our self conception. Vedanta gives us a whole new conception of ourself. We need to hear that, think about it, meditate upon it. And uh, then we will begin to progress. Om Dyo Shantihi, Antariksha Am Shanti Shantihi, shantihi Apashanti O Shadaya Shantihi. Vanaspataya. Shantihi. Vishwei Deva. Shantihi. Brahma Shantihi. Sarapa. Shantihi. Shanti Reva Shantihi. Same Shanti Om Shantihi. Shantihi. Shahantihi. Om. Peace is in heaven. Peace is on the earth. Peace is in the sky and in the waters. The herbs and plants and trees are full of peace. The gods are peaceful. May this eternal, universal peace enter our souls and beings. so peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.